It is around the time Lazarus has died. And in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 18, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met Him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever You ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to Him, Yes, Lord. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. I think one of the most difficult parts of living the faith and speaking of veterans, there they are. Thank you for uh, all that you do. Um, I'm just talking about the most difficult part of the faith is when, when tough times come and things look bleak. Most people believe in God easily when things are going well. Most people do not believe in a God when things are not going well and God's not doing anything. They have a bigger struggle with that situation. Now, here's the thing though, is people look for answers. Always trying to find a reason for things to happen. Why? How come? What caused this? God, make sense of this for me. They're always looking for a way to make life make sense. And I'm no different. I'm sure you're no different. You want to know the reason why. If you know the reason why, it, you can sense a sense of peace about it. Understand that it has a purpose. And there's a purpose that God will allow certain things to happen. And most often though, we find our society now looking for answers in different places. Well, some people look at Zen, or New Age philosophies, or Buddhism, or Islam, or they believe in reincarnation, or gangs, or they hang out in cliques, or clubs, or groups, or guilds. Maybe the AARP is where they feel like they belong. After getting enough mailers, they probably say, I, I, I give up, I'm joining. Um, or maybe, maybe some people even believe in, uh, if you will, uh, zombies. Did you know that? Some people believe in zombies. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine is one of the most prolific, and you know him, uh, zombie fans that I know. They're probably ever in the region even. He always won the zombie walk. But I told him this Sunday I was going to be talking about the zombie passage in Scripture. And he said, 
There is one? And his ears perked up. He's going, I'm going, you're a zombie fan. You've got to know that there's a passage that deals with that and it is one of the most remarkably overlooked passages in all of Scripture. And it is not the resurrection of Lazarus, although it has something to do with it, which is why we start there. The zombie passage I will share with you in just a moment comes out of Matthew. But I share with you that people are looking for answers for a reason. We want to belong. We want to feel like we have a place that we can fit in and make a difference and connect with people who think like we think. It makes sense. And then we are a part of something that's bigger than us. So when our lives are falling apart, we got somewhere to turn, someone who understands us, it can help us through the struggles. And it makes sense, doesn't it? We need something that gives us a sense of stability and a sense of place in a world gone crazy. If you want proof of a world gone crazy, I don't have to go any further than the GOP and the Democratic nominations for presidency. I am sure that 50 years ago, nobody would have considered either one a likely candidate. Now we have a choice, if you will, to vote or not vote (laughs) come November and pray that God does something big to change the candidate that might change our country. We are now looking at a country that sees our presidency as a position of destroying the country rather than benefiting it. How can we survive this person until we get someone good in there and then things look bleak again? What can we do, we wonder? What is going on that God is allowing this to happen? All these questions, and we still don't have the answer for why. And people look different directions say, well, maybe God is letting this happen to teach us a lesson, or maybe we're not a godly nation. Or, or maybe, maybe we are a godly nation, but the people of God aren't standing up for it. And we're silent. Maybe that's why. But I can tell you this, that if you feel insecurity in your own country from its leadership, that's a scary place to be. Trust is important to believe that somebody will do what they say they will do. And on a large scale as such, it matters. It also matters in our own families, communities, our church, what we believe in, where we go, who we hang out with, what we belong to. I had a real bad go of it in the year 2000, the first few months. I didn't have much stability in my life at that time. I was going through a lot of changes, and there's only one person that I could turn to who would listen, and that was my mother. Nobody else understood the situation, or could I tell them in such a way that it would make sense without a two-hour conversation. 
But there was my mother saying, I love you. I'm praying for you. I support you. I'll be here for you. Just know that your mother still will be here no matter what. Those were the words that kept me going through the dark hours. That I mattered. That somebody cared. We need that, don't we? we got to have that. And, and if that doesn't happen, it feels like we're walking a living death. Almost like our lives we're just putting in time. And there's no real meaning behind every day. I don't know about you, but I would not like to wake up every morning and feel like, well, it's just another day to try and make it through to get to the next one and the next one and the next one with nothing to look forward to, no world to influence, nobody who cares. So why should I? But there are people who live that way. Which is why they turn to all those things I mentioned. Something to give them an identity and a connection. Which is why we find so many people looking anywhere they can find to find a connection. Whether it's on the internet, on Match.com or whatever. FarmersOnly.com, I think I saw that one. Um, and, I, and I can't remember, there's some other ones that I just... Thank God I don't need. <laughs> Hopefully you won't need those either. But what I'm trying to say is that emptiness, we try to fill it with stuff that doesn't work. And God keeps trying to show us that there's only one way. We realize it. But on our core, we still keep looking for other directions, other reasons, explanations to discredit or doubt God. In our story today that I read out of John chapter 11, Lazarus has died. He's been in the grave four days. Now Jesus was the stability for that family. This sister that was still in the house, Mary, is the one that Jesus had cast the seven demons out of. She's the one that sat at His feet while Martha prepared the meal. Same Mary and Martha. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. If you go back in the story a little bit, Jesus gets word that His friend is sick and He doesn't go. He says to His disciples, Lazarus is sick, but we're not going to go heal him. <laughs> Does that not seem callous of the Son of God to not care for someone who's sick? To heal him? He waits. And he's dead. And now he's dead four days. And for their understanding, the Spirit's long departed on the fourth day. The Jewish understanding was the Spirit stayed near the body for three days. And the fourth day, it's too late. This is the fourth day. Now Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus died. So Mary and Martha don't have the power of God present with them in Jesus who can do all things to heal their brother. What would they have said if Jesus said, well, I know he's been dead four days and I'm sorry about that. I knew he was sick, but I was busy waiting for him to die. 
Not a good conversation to have, would it have been? They would have been livid, angry beyond words, hurt beyond hurt. So when Jesus goes and He says, as He's going along, Lazarus has died, let's go see Him, the disciples think they're all going to die. Martha meets Him. Is what we've read. Martha meets Him and she says, if you had been here, He wouldn't have died. You're the one who gives me hope. You're the one who gives me strength and stability in this world of craziness around me. You're the one who can do all things. And she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But she's not saying that I believe you could raise my brother back to life. What she is saying is, if you hadn't been here, he wouldn't be dead. But I know that whatever you ask for, you still have the power because God will give it to you. I want to digress a little about this because this is how we think. God has ears for certain people, but not everybody. God listens to the cries of some folks, but not necessarily mine. Sometimes we feel that way. I've heard so many people say, my prayers bounce off the ceiling. I've heard people say, I can't even understand if God even knows I'm alive or not. I can't understand why I can't touch the heart of God and, and feel His presence and know Him. What's, what's wrong with me? That other people get it, but I do not. This is Martha. Martha's saying, if you hadn't been here, you wouldn't have died, but God will give you whatever you ask for. Do you hear the statement now? He will give you what you ask for, but not me, because my brother's gone. That's a statement of pain and grief and sorrow. My brother's gone. He won't give it to me, but he would have for you. But you weren't here to do anything. That's what she said. And he says to her, your brother will rise again. Oh, she says, being very dismissive, oh, I know He will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I know that. I know this. And Jesus says something that she does not get. He says, I am that resurrection. And I am life. We missed this one really, really, really powerful fact about what's going on here. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, she's saying, yeah, you're the Christ, you're the one who is to come, I know you're the resurrection and the life. And, and that, that stuff, get this, that stuff is going to happen on the last day. I know how that works. What's that got to do with my brother? <laughs> I know you created the world, God. This is what we say. I know you put the stars in place. I know you made me, but what's that got to do with my situation? You're not doing anything. 
That's what we say. And a part of us feels like we're falling away from the faith. Part of us feels like God doesn't care. And a part of us feels like, well, I know that's foolish because I still believe, but, but I have doubt because maybe it's because I'm the one who's asking. Or maybe I'm not saying it right. Or whatever reason, we want to blame ourselves for God's inactivity. And, and soon enough, we realize we haven't done anything wrong, we start to blame God for it. We do. And it's easy to do. It's a very common situation in our world. So what's going on with this story when Jesus is on resurrection and life and we don't get it? What happens in us when we don't get that? What happens the same thing that happened in Martha is, is the situation is bigger than Jesus. That death is bigger than life. That brokenness is bigger than the wholeness of Jesus Christ. That broken lives can't be fully repaired. That certain sins are unforgivable. That's how we begin to put it. But the story doesn't end there, now does it? We know how that story ends, but I want to share with you that Lazarus at this point is still dead. And Martha is still without hope. She's without hope looking at the Son of God. Is this possible to stare face to face with Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, creator of all heaven and earth, maker of all things, holder of life and death, and lose hope looking in His face. And yet she walks hopeless. How's that possible? The same way it's possible for you and me. Because she knows who Jesus is, but she doesn't really know who Jesus is. We have a good idea that Jesus can redeem us and save us from our sins, but when these struggles come along, what's I got to do with that? <laughs> okay, you saved me, God. Now i got to live life. <laughs> we miss the whole story. We miss the resurrection and the life stuff. So let's take a gander at the next piece of the puzzle found in Matthew chapter 27. This is, by the way, the zombie passage. Any zombie fans here, I apologize. This is not about brain-eating creatures. This has something entirely different. If you'll turn with me there, I think you'll like what Matthew tells us. As a matter of fact, what he says, one of those surprising things that most people go, oh, that doesn't say that. It says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. Now, obviously, He's on the cross. This is the moment that He dies. All the work has been done. He's already said it is finished. He's already said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. He's already talked to the thieves on either side. He has given up His Spirit. It says, Then, behold, we know this part, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked 
the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming up out of the graves, after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So much so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. This is a great passage. There's so much in here, but we're only going to look at two things. Number one, what the centurion said. And number two, what happened when those graves opened up. Take this picture, if you will. The sky grows dark. Jesus gives His breath up. It's darkness across the land. The earth is shaking. Rocks are splitting. And graves open up and people rise up. Out of those graves. Have you any idea in your mind that this might sound more like a movie than the death of Jesus Christ? This is earth-changing stuff. Big scale stuff. And it says the saints, the bodies of the holy ones, those graves were opened up and they rose up out of them and started walking around. And they started wandering around the countryside for three days. They wandered the countryside after Jesus died. And it says in this passage that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days later, those people who had been raised from the graves entered into Jerusalem. For three days, they didn't go into the city. Good question. Why? For three days, why are they wandering? What's going on? (laughs) Well, Jesus is dead. They've been resurrected by the resurrection, but the life is dead. They cannot find life. And they know it is not in the temple. They know it's not out in the hillside. They wait for Jesus. When Jesus resurrects, they go into the city and witness to His resurrection that He is life. They only knew Him as resurrection. You can't have just resurrection faith, folks. You've got to have life faith. Resurrection faith says, I know one day He'll resurrect me from the grave. Life faith says, I'm resurrected now. That I live in Jesus Christ right now and never will die. Do I believe this? Is what He asked Martha. Do you believe you live now? Do you believe your brother is alive right now? Do you believe this? And she says, I know you're the Christ who is to come. Again, she said, but what's that got to do with my brother? (laughs) You might think, no, she really gets it. But when he goes to the grave, we know the story. He says, take away the stone. And what does Martha say? He's going to stink. He's been dead four days. He's just said on the resurrection, 
I'm the life. She says, I know you're the Christ. But she doesn't make the connection. And if you and I don't make that connection, we live very, very shallow lives in the faith. Empty. Broken. Because we don't get that the life is already here. Those dead folks walking around. <laughs> they got the resurrection. And they're looking for the life. And they can't find it. Do you, you, do you hear me? They're looking for life and they can't find it because there's only one source. It's not in groups. It's not in Buddhism or clubs. It's not in double ARP. It's not in believing that there's reincarnation. It's not in believing if I belong to this gang and do these rites that I'm going to make a difference. It's not any of that. The fellowship of the saints is with Jesus Christ. He's the life. Without Him, we don't have it. We are zombie people regardless if Jesus is in our life, our source, our strength, our hope, and our peace. There is no other way. We keep thinking, well, let me try something else because God's not doing anything. And God's saying, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? Do you know me? Well, I know you're the one who raised me and you're going to forgive my sin and and I'm going to have a home in glory with you. It's not what He's after. He's after, do you live for Him now? Are you hungry for the things of heaven now? Do you believe in Him when this world says it's not logical or fair? Or that the society goes different directions? Can you still stay straight and focused on the narrow rather than the wide path going to destruction? And we say, it's kind of hard. It is impossible if you don't have life. Life is not animation. Life is Jesus Christ. Knowing that He is who He said He was. He does what He says He will do. And He will continue to be faithful. When the Roman centurion saw all this happen, he said, oh, 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 this is the Son of God. He didn't say, yeah, I think we just killed the Son of God here. <laughs> wonder what we're going to do now. I don't think he was like that. I think he's going, oh my God, we just killed the Son of God. Oh, have mercy. Have mercy. I think that's what he was like. I think he was freaking out. What did I do? Why didn't I believe? I heard what He said on the cross. I did, a part of me wanted to believe, but oh, what have I done? And it's too late. It's done. Do you hear that kind of thinking in your life? It's too late. It's done. There's no such thing as too late with God. God never says done until He says it's finished. God's like that. He knows how to reach those who belong to Him. And yet, there is something that happens in the Old Testament that gives us the rest of this picture. And God's painting this living now picture for us in Exodus. It's such a familiar passage that when something's familiar, we miss it. It's Exodus chapter 3, the first three verse, uh, six verses. And... What we miss here 
is something that we get caught up in the miracle and miss the reality of the situation. You ever uh, driven the same road uh, to work or somewhere and you, and you can't remember doing it now? Oh, I, I just drove it. I don't remember doing it. Or walking the same path all the time or having the same routine. You go, okay, gee, I don't remember doing it. It's just kind of natural. Well, this is kind of this passage. It's so familiar. It's been told so many times with Moses at the burning bush that we miss what's going on. Oh, we're thinking, well, Moses saw the burning bush and God told him to you know, go down and get rid of the uh, slavery of His people and bring them up out of Egypt. That's what's going on. No, that's not what's going on. It's not what God says. What He says is something that Jesus quotes when He's trying to give people hope. It says, Now Moses is tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great side, why the bush does not burn. And before I read the next verse, I want to share this with you. Often we look for God for the big crazy stuff, the miracles like we saw starting in October. We look for that and when God stops doing them, we think we've lost favor. Or we don't see Him as often. It could be that God said, you've seen enough, now let me see how you respond. And it says, so Moses saw this thing and he he didn't go and go, hey, that's God. This is a miracle. He goes and he says, I want to look at the bush and see see why it's not burning. He's not looking for God. He's just looking at a curiosity, which is what happens when miracles happen. They're curiosities for a time, but they don't give us eternal proof because we question them later. So it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, and here's the line we miss, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I am the God of your Father. Number one, God knows where you come from. He knows where you belong. He knows how you got where you got. He knows the path your life has taken. Second thing, He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of of Jacob. He does not say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He says, I am. Which means, these men, most who have been dead over 400 years, are not dead. When the Pharisees questioned Jesus about the resurrection, He said, this passage. How can God, who said, I am the God 
But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, indeed, be the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. He's the God of living. It's our elder, living. He's the God of those who are living. Some of us haven't got to living yet. But he's saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob got it. And they're still alive. We see in several passages in the Scripture, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus went on the mountain with three disciples and Elijah and Moses appeared with Him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah have been dead thousands of years at that time. Have they not? Apparently, they've been living. Apparently, God does what He says He will do. And apparently, those men were able to be recognized as Moses, as Elijah, with identity intact to the disciples who had never met them face to face, being dead several thousand years. And if they recognized them, that's Moses, that's Elijah, and Jesus is with them. This is really awesome. How did they know? How did they know? Because we don't lose our identity when we die. We don't lose who we are when we die. As it says in Scripture, we go to sleep, but we don't die. We don't get when Jesus says, I am resurrection. When you're in Him, you're not dying. So many people are afraid of death. But it's not. It's a translation over into your other glory that you were created for that God has brought you into, that you're living for. It's actually who you really are. The resurrected self. But this passage, God is saying, I am the God of those who are alive. And they are alive. I bear witness, says God. It's the same God we talked about last week when He said, I am the God, Jehovah Yahweh. The ones the Israelites haven't understood My name yet. But my name is power and life. And I will not have my people in bondage. I, I love that passage. And what happens though is we miss this story if we're not careful. And as I said, the clue is in Jesus' statement to Martha. He is the resurrection and the life. We, as believers, get the first part pretty easy. Christ died for us. He died so that we could be forgiven. And if we receive His sacrificial death on the cross, we can enter into that forgiving relationship with Jesus Christ that says that we are buried with Him and crucified with Christ, yet not dead. We live. Paul even says, I'm no longer alive, but Christ lives in me. We call it the old man gone. The new creation is now here. But we don't get that. We get to that idea of resurrection. We still forget the life part. And here's how I think that we can put this right order. If you say Jesus is the life and the resurrection, you might understand how you've been thinking. 
Jesus is alive. Resurrection's already happened. We've already been resurrected from the dead with Jesus Christ when we belong to Him. Scripture says that we have died with Him and so we live for Him. But I see so clearly when faith comes under question and the society begins to look for other answers and our doubts start creeping in about who God is, one thing happens to you and me. You begin to say, uh, maybe it's just for later that God's going to do something. And here's how we pray. Well, God, I know You can heal this, but if You won't heal it now, I know you heal it later. And we begin to question whether or not God can. Or whether God will. Or if it's His will. And we begin to do all these things. And what we forget is we're already healed in Jesus Christ. We forget that we're already alive. And we begin to look at the physical maladies and the trials and trouble to this world as life. Don't we say, my life's crazy? No, you're not. Your life is Christ. Your world's crazy. <laughs> your circumstances are crazy. But your life is not crazy. Your life is Jesus Christ. He's the most sanest choice you could ever do. Or maybe. I might be crazy, but Jesus isn't. My life might be a mess, but Jesus is my life. And He's cleaning up my life. When you and I come down to the end of the day, something happens. And I just want to share this with you as plain as I can. That we, we don't quite get who Jesus is. If we did, we'd be beating down doors, begging uh, for the opportunity to go serve, praying for opportunity to tell others about Him because He's transformed us that much and we know He can do it for others. I'll tell you how powerful Jesus is. This is what happens after Lazarus raises from the dead. And you all don't get to hear this story very often, and I don't know why people don't talk about it much, but that Lazarus is raised from the dead. He doesn't just die the next day. He's alive for quite some time after that. He's witnessing to Jesus everywhere He goes. There's even a, a lost gospel attributed to Him that talks about what He did after He was resurrected. And, and it's said, that Lazarus wept a lot. That he wept a lot. And the reason why is because this world is so much unlike the world he was, he was in. And he wanted to go back. But he knew he had to be here. And nobody would believe his testimony. And it was so bad. In John 12 it says that they plotted to kill Lazarus to stop Jesus. Because Lazarus' testimony was so convincing. They couldn't denied that the man had died. But if you think about it like this, their plot to kill this man would have failed. And here's, I think, why they didn't do it. Because Jesus was still alive. Catch this. Jesus is still alive. They kill Him, Jesus is going to raise Him back up again. It's not going to work. Do you get this? No matter what the world tries to take from you, they can't stop Jesus from resurrecting it. 
and can't stop Him from infusing life back into it. That's what He does. He is resurrection. He resurrects relationships. He resurrects homes. He resurrects families. That's what He does. And He infuses life into it. Life is not questioning if He's real. That is the old self that still keeps trying to drag you back into the grave. We got one foot in the grave and one foot toward heaven and we're trying to figure out which one's real. The old man or the new man. And we don't know. Because our mind gets caught up in circumstance. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that today you can be done with that old guy, that old woman that you used to be and never have to hear from him again. All you have to do is simply say, I'm gone with you. I belong to Jesus' heart and soul. He's my life. He's my heart. And no matter what this world says to me, He's my life. I don't care what this world says about me or what this world can do to me or what happens in my family. I know that Jesus is above and bigger than that. And nothing's going to sway me from that, even though it looks hopeless. I'm staring Jesus Christ face to face every morning I wake up throughout the day because He's my focus in my heart. And I'm living now because of Him. And I'll be living in eternity because of Him. This is how we step beyond that three days wandering of those saints that rose from the grave waiting for life to come. We don't have to wait, oh, it's here. You don't have to look any further or try to join something. And you'll never hear me say this again as a pastor, but please understand this. This is not something that you should tell anybody else I've said. But get this. Membership in a church does not guarantee membership in eternity. Just want you to know that. I don't push church membership, but I promise you, if you want to be a part of this church, be a part of this church all the way and wear the, wear the name tag that says, I belong. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid to connect with something that's connected you to God. And this isn't about that. This is about you face to face with Jesus Christ every day for the rest of your life, not questioning whether He hears you or knows you, but knowing that He does, and you just going forward in faith, knowing that. Are you going to be like Martha and wondering, what's wrong with me that you won't do anything, God? You've got two choices. Walk with Him, or wonder why He doesn't walk with you. I don't see any benefit in choice B. I encourage you to take plan A which is how I'm living now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You're the God of the living. You're still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, You've shown miracles here. You've shown that You're still alive. We've seen in our own midst, including John, our own witness to a miracle and and Jackie, a witness of miracle what You've done in her, restored hope. God, You've done so much in our midst, Heavenly Father, and we're, we're still trying to figure out who are we? What do we do next? What's our relevance as a church? You've already told us and we're still trying to fumble around in the dark when we're called to the light. 
Sugara Mass here. Get beyond the, in us a thought about resurrection to living, to life. That we seek you in all that we do. Heavenly Father, we choose that. We chose that. We re choose it today. We re choose you, Christ Jesus, for right now. No matter how many times in the past we've poured out our lives to God, we, we choose you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Infuse us with your Holy Spirit. Invigorate us with your passionate love that we would know no limits because you have none. There is no limit to what you can do. And you told us that in us, we also have the same thing that you instilled by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, pour out your Spirit in us. Glorify your name here. Glorify your presence. And may this church be a beacon of light as you promised it would be. This is my prayer, Heavenly Father, and I ask that each person here today would understand that they are a part of the life of Christ. And it's now. Thank you, Lord. No matter what we need, healing, restoration, a shot in the arm, a booster shot of confidence, whatever it is, God, I trust that You're doing that. Lord, when I called out to You earlier this morning, praying over this message, I, I said, Lord, Lord, uh, how, how do we get from the Creator of the stars to the fixture of my questioning doubt? How do we get from the Maker of Heaven and earth and the creator of all things and the one who walked this earth 2,000 years ago to know that He's still with me today alive with me every step of the way how do we get there God and you said why do you have to question it why can't you just trust that it's true may that be true that we all trust you that way now that it's true and not just maybe, but completely, 100%, absolutely, yes, no turning back. God, this is my prayer. And I ask that you to show your glory how great you are today as we respond to you. Amen.